scripture that uh, we're in, the, the book that we're in is 2 Corinthians, and we're going to get there a little bit this morning. We're going to be kind of bouncing around to some passages, and if you need a Bible to follow along, there's some Bibles and chairs in front of you. There's some in the back under the TV there. They're free. If you'd like to take one home, you can have it. Um, it's our gift to you, and as well as uh, you want to drink some coffee in a, in a new cup, there's some travel cups there for you to take as well. But the Word of God is important to us, and in the Word of God, you will see, when you read the Bible, lots of physical illustrations that actually point to and teach spiritual truths. Physical examples, but really spiritual meanings. And for example, I'll give you one that happens in the Old Testament. There were these priests that would come from one tribe, the Levites, And they were the only ones that God allowed to mediate for God's people when it came to their sin. They were the ones that could approach God. They had a process that they followed, and they would offer sacrifices for forgiveness. So they could only only they could get close to God. But um, before they could do that, you might uh, know this if you've read through the first five books in the Bible or if you were with us a couple years ago when we went through the book of Exodus. But they had to follow this, this ritual to get close to God, the priests. They couldn't just walk up to the tabernacle. They couldn't go in the tabernacle without following this ritual. They had to shave. They had to bathe. They had to wash their clothes. And Moses had to sprinkle water of purification on them. And they had to do this every single time just to enter into God's presence. Now, you ask the question, why did God make them do that every time? It wasn't about their physical cleanliness. God wasn't like, man, Levites, you stink. Like, take a shower, clean up. No, it was not about that. It was about spiritual holiness. He used a physical example to teach a spiritual truth. Sin gets us dirty. Not outwardly, inwardly. Our hearts get dirty. And if we want to enter into God's presence, then we need clean hearts. Clean hearts. That's important. That's the great truth for us in God's word. If you want to get closer to God, then you need a clean heart. And I'm going to teach you today how to cleanse your heart, and how to keep it clean. Would that be nice to know, how to cleanse your heart and keep it clean? Because I know we want to get closer to God, don't we? We want to be in God's presence. Otherwise, you wouldn't be in church. Now, somebody might have coerced you this morning uh, to get here, to be here. Um, They might have bribed you, I don't know, with a good lunch after. But the point is, you're here, and most of us, I think, are here for the right reason. We want to get closer to God. We want forgiveness. We want a clean heart. So the title this morning, Cleansing Your Heart, kind of building on last Sunday in the idols of our heart. And um, I will talk about perhaps some experiences that you had. You might be able to relate to this one. When I grew up going to church, um, I learned a lot about religious traditions. Perhaps you grew up going to a church that had a lot of traditions. As a a family, uh, our family attended a few different kinds of churches. We went to an Episcopal church, 
when I was in middle school. We went to a Nazarene church. We went to a Baptist church. And throughout, I would go as friends and family. Occasionally, I would attend a Catholic church. And if you've been to any of those churches or your own, you probably know that they have rituals, traditions, ceremonies. And I'll be honest, frankly, some of them are really confusing. Right? I mean, you, you probably have been in a situation before where you were like, well, wait a minute, we're standing up now? We're sitting down? We're kneeling? We're singing? We're saying this? Like, what's going on? And unfortunately, a lot of times the priest or the pastor don't really explain the meaning behind what we're doing. And so here's the question that comes up in my mind. When do these religious rituals push us away from God rather than what they're supposed to do, draw us closer to Him. You see what I'm saying? So when you don't understand the spiritual truth, what the physical act represents, sometimes that can actually, actually push you farther from God. There's an old saying, religion is man's way of messing up our relationship with God. It's those traditions that push us away. Here's the case in point. The religious Jews during the days of Jesus. There were a lot of religious people in the days of Jesus. They were called Pharisees or scribes. Those were the two main groups of very religious people. They're, they wanted to get closer to God, and they thought it was through their traditions, through the law, the Moses and the Ten Commandments, they would get closer to God. So they were zealous for their traditions. There was this one situation in Matthew 15 where Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus. They came straight from Jerusalem, the scripture says, Matthew writes. And they asked Jesus a question. Why do you, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. They had a ritual where they would wash their hands before they ate. I will be honest with you, at eight years old, I could have been a disciple of Jesus. I did not wash my hands before I ate. I would get to the table, and I would, you know, want to uh, eat dinner, and my mom, who's actually helping downstairs with the children uh, church this morning, but uh, you'll have to let her know that uh, I gave her props here, she would make me get up and go wash my hands, right mom? All the moms out there, you know what I'm talking about. Wash your hands before you eat. Well, clean hands were supposed to point to clean hearts. That was the truth, but the religious people that day were just obsessed with literal clean, going through the ritual, not understanding the purpose of it, the truth of it. And so Jesus corrects them. He says in Matthew 15, 18, he says, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. That's what defiles a person. Out of our heart comes evil thoughts like murder and adultery and sexual immorality and theft and lying and slandering. That's what defiles a person. But to eat with unwashed hands, that doesn't defile anyone. I wish I would have known verse 20 when I was a kid. Hey, Mom, I'm in the good. She still would have made me wash my hands, though. Jesus also calls them hypocrites. 
calling religious people hypocrites because, he quotes Isaiah 29, he says, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. These guys sounded religious. They looked religious, but their hearts were dirty. It was full of, of sin. And Jesus explained this in detail. These were religious people who would have said that they honored King David. You know, they looked for, from King David comes the Messiah, and they would honor King David, but they didn't act like King David. Last week, if you were here, you know we talked about King David and his example. First of all, he was, from a young boy, uh, uh, called a man after God's own heart. Named the second king, anointed the second king of Israel. And, and he was a man after God's own heart. He was the golden child. He was like the perfect Christian, right? Then, what happened? He messed up. Big time he messed up. He had an affair, and then he had her husband killed. Now you think to yourself, wow, that's pretty bad. He got his heart really dirty. He messed up. But what happened next in the life of David? He fessed up. His confession is Psalm 51. And my favorite verse out of there, verse 10, he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. David understood lip service with God doesn't work. Going through the motions doesn't work with God. You can't just show up to church and it counts with God. He understood if you want to get closer to God, you need a clean heart. It's your heart that has to be cleaned. It's not the traditions, it's not the rituals. Which brings us into 2 Corinthians, which is the book that we're going through. In chapter 6, last Sunday, verse 11, the church in Corinth, these Christians, were holding back. And Paul was writing this, this letter to them and saying, listen, you're holding back. He says specifically, verse 11, you are restricted in your own affections. And, and, I, and I unpacked that for us last week, and I said, what that means is, is their heart was the problem. It was divided. They had some other um, affections, some things that were more important than God. And he said, open your hearts. And I said, that, that's equivalent to saying, remove the idols of your heart. Nothing should be more important to you than God. And what was it that was more important? What were the idols of their heart? What was capturing their heart back then, 2,000 years ago? Well, it's the same thing that captures our hearts today. People are people. It doesn't matter what century you're born in. we got the same problem. We get caught up worshiping things of this world. Worldly things become more important to us than God. John, he understood that. John was the disciple of Jesus. He wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote Revelation, which we're going through on Wednesdays. He wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, little letters to the church. And in 1st John 2, he writes, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And then the verse you'll see on the screen, verse 16, he says, All that's in the world. What's in the world? Desires of our flesh. Desires of our eyes and pride of life. He says, that's not from the Father, that's from the world. 
And by the way, the world is passing away. But the Lord, the will of God, that goes on forever. So it causes us to think about what we worship, what we desire in life. And, Paul, and John says, the desires that are worldly, which is a way of saying not godly, are the desires of the eyes, the desires of our flesh, and the pride of life. And remember David, King David, this is exactly what his problem was. He had a desire of the eyes and of the flesh. He wanted something. He saw a young, naked woman bathing. And that will catch any man's eye. You see a young, naked woman bathing, it caught his eye. But he didn't turn away like he should have. He kept looking. And he got tempted. And he pursued her. And he found out she was married. He couldn't get her out of his head. He lost his self-control. He gave in to his desire for her. And he sinned terribly. But notice what James says in 1.14. James 1.14. Each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Temptations are different for everybody. What tempts you doesn't tempt someone else necessarily. What tempts you is your own desire. Things of this world. And you know you. You know what your flesh craves. You know what your eyes lust after. You know what feeds your ego, don't you? Things of this world. Things that are not godly, and they tempt you. And they will keep tempting you. And sometimes that could make you feel hopeless. And I certainly don't want you to leave church and feel hopeless. Oh my gosh, i got these desires. They've been beating me up for 30 years, 40 years, you know, whatever. I don't want to keep, keep you know, feeling tempted and, and falling and getting up. I don't want to keep... How do I change? How do I change? How do I change my desires? Because there's temptation everywhere to lie, to cheat, to steal, to be gluttonous, to gossip, to gloat, to curse, to criticize, to conspire. How do you change the desires within you so that you don't love worldly things? Paul writes this to Colossians 3.2. You set your mind on things above not on things that are on the earth. Set your mind on godly things. What does that mean? Okay, it sounds like very, you know, oh, set your mind on things above. What, what does that mean? Like I'm going to sit in my prayer closet and just, you know, pray and sing? And what, what does it mean to set my mind on things above? Well, actually, he goes on to explain it. And he says a little bit later on, it means that you have compassionate hearts and you, you're patient with one another, and you're humble, and you're kind, and you're forgiving. He equates it to our relationships with other people. And simply put, as we say around here, love one another. Love one another. That's a, that's a command we see over and over and over again in the Bible. See, it's natural, it's natural to want to help yourself first, isn't it? No one had to teach you to be selfish, did they? No. 
You were born that way, aren't you? From the very from a toddler. Anybody got a toddler? You have to teach them to be selfish? No, you don't. It's supernatural to want to help other people first. I mean, let's be honest. It's natural to want to feed yourself, to take care of yourself, but it's totally supernatural. It's a God thing that you would, that you would put other people ahead of you. That would be like Jesus. So that's what it means to set your mind on things above. That, that, that's a changing your desire from, oh, I want to help myself, to, oh, I want to help others. I want to love others. Romans 12, 2. My favorite verse, probably, in the whole Bible. Don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The renewing. It's a very similar word to cleansing. Cleansing your mind. I was just talking to a friend about this, a psychologist, about the, the, the amazing minds that we have. How remarkable your mind truly is. Are you familiar with the word neuroplasticity? It's a fun word to say. Neuroplasticity is your brain's ability to quickly rewire itself. For example, you can think a certain way for a very long time, for years. You can believe something to be true. Act according to that truth that you've always had in your head. Then, you're presented with a new truth. You dwell on the new truth. And in a very short time, you will actually think and act according to the new truth. That's incredible, that your brain can do that, that our brain can do that. It changes us. Give you like an example that, that um, I use. Uh, I've, I've always enjoyed making people laugh. Always. Um, I used to think that, um, or I used to, a long time ago, tell dirty jokes and swear like a sailor, sailor to make people laugh. That was something that my friends and I enjoyed doing. But then I became a new creation in Christ. And I renewed my mind with his word. And things began to change. And the Lord showed me a new way. He said, you can tell clean jokes and people will still laugh. And I can even tell them in church. Just a little example. My point is this, God's word renews our mind, rewires it, cleans it, because all scripture is God-breathed, useful for every Christian, Timothy was told by Paul. And along with the word is, is the spirit that lives in us, the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, transforming us to be more like Jesus. Paul even uses the word, you can have the mind of Christ. You can think like him, you can live like him, you can love like him. You can desire what he desires. Think about that. Because if you're a Christian, by that name alone, that means you're one who follows Christ. You're a Christian, a follower of Christ. Then wouldn't you want to live like him, think like him, walk like him? And that's what it does. That's what the Word of God does when we renew our mind with it when we read the Bible and we constantly are dwelling and meditating on truths of God's Word. In fact, here's how you know you're on the right track. John 15, Jesus says, If the world hates you, 
know it's hated me before it hated you. If you were of this world, the world would love you as its own. Because you're not of the world, though, I chose you out of the world, he says, now the world hates you. Easy indicator to know if you're on the right track, if God's changing you. The world hates you. I know that's not comforting, probably, but really what I mean is is that it's the darkness of the world that hates you. Because you're the light. And when you shine your light, you're bringing, you know, you're opening up places where they're keeping in the dark, and they don't like that. People won't like that. Their true colors being revealed, they're not going to like you for doing that. And you're not doing it because you're trying to show them up or judge them. You're just being what Christ has called you to be, the light. So, how do you change your desires? How do you change your desires? Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. We put signs out on our windows there. When My, my, my vision was is as people leave, they will walk down those steps. And when you walk out the door, you look at those signs and they're reminders of great truths. One of those signs says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. You run a race, you fix your eyes on the person in front of you. And the more you run, the closer you get. And that's Jesus. Fix your eyes on him. Set your mind on things above. Love one another. Renew your mind with God's word. Be transformed. This is how... You keep your heart clean. This is how you do it. But how do you cleanse it if you messed up? If you you stumble, how do you cleanse your heart? Well, James chapter 4, verse 8, tells us to draw near to God. He draws near to you. Then he says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now, what does that mean? What's a double-minded man? Simply put, it's somebody who tries to serve two masters. And Jesus said, if you love one master, you're going to hate the other. So James is saying, if you want to cleanse your heart, then you need to choose this day whom you will serve. And Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will what? Serve the Lord. That's right. So if you are here today trying to come back to God, trying to put him first in your life, think about the first or the greatest commandment, what Jesus said. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart. So that's what James is saying. Don't be double-minded. You can't serve the world and serve me. Pick me. Love me. Put me first. That's step one. Then need to confess your sin to God. 1 John 1, 9. We went over this this morning before we took communion. Confess your sins. This is an ongoing process for us. We mess up, we fess up, God cleans us up. Confess your sins. He's faithful. He cleanses us. And I just like this verse because it's a call for us to really be honest with God. I already told you what confession, confession really means. You're agreeing with God. You're not making him aware of something he doesn't know. You're agreeing. God, yes, I did mess up, and I need you to forgive me once again. 
I need to be clean, clean or cleansed by you once again. God has made it very easy for us, by the way. It wasn't always this easy. Let's go back to the Israelites and their process of being cleansed. They had to purchase an animal, a lamb. They had to bring it to the temple. The priest had to do his ritual, his cleansing ritual, and he had to be prepared for that. But then he would bring the lamb, and the priest would take the person and the lamb, and he would place the hand of the the person on on the animal and sacrifice the animal, and the blood was spilled out on the altar. I mean, it's just a messy process, right? And a a lengthy one in, in the whole thing, just to be cleansed. But then we read in Hebrews, we read in Hebrews 9, if the blood of goats and bulls temporarily made pure the flesh, how much more does the blood of Jesus Christ permanently purify us? Isn't that wonderful? He's done all the work for us. We learned back in 2 Corinthians 5, He made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we can become the righteousness of God. In 1 John 1, 7, what is it that cleanses you from your sin? The blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus. The sacrifice that was made. God has made it easy. He's done the work. What do you do? Confess it. Agree with Him. Confess your sins. And lastly, what I think makes Christianity so unique is that our God became like us. Our God became like us. No other religion can say that. God sent His Son, Jesus, to become like us. Now, I understand. It's a mystery. It's it's like the Trinity. How do you grasp it? But how do you grasp Jesus as fully God and fully human? We can't, because we're not God. We can't grasp it, but it is a truth. It's a truth that's taught in the Word of God, that Jesus was both fully human fully God. And so as a human, Jesus understood some things we understand, like sorrow and grief and pain and fatigue and weariness. So when Jesus says in Matthew these words I'm about to read to you, to us, we understand it's empirical. He experienced it. He's honest and it's inviting. These are the words I'm sure some of you are familiar with. Matthew 11, verse 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, weary, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. When you hear these words, don't you want to just collapse into the arms of Jesus? Don't you just want a big old Jesus bear hug? I do. Because I'm tired. Anyone else here tired? Weary? Anybody need their heart cleansed? Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. And if you haven't had a come to Jesus moment, I hope you do. Because it's the best thing that will ever happen in your life. And by the way, he said these words to people that wanted to put their faith in him. These were people that grew up in a system of rules and traditions 
And honestly, they just wanted to be forgiven. They didn't want to have to jump through a hundred hoops to be forgiven. They just wanted to get closer to God. They just wanted a genuine relationship with God. And that's what I want you to have too. I don't want you to come to a church that you don't uh, understand what's going on and you're confused. I, I just want you to come to Jesus and know that he loves you and he will forgive you. But you've got to be honest. If you want a clean heart, you've got to be honest with him. You've got to confess your sins to him. You've got to be real with God. He already knows. you just got to agree with him. And as long as you do this, as you continue to do this, you will feel closer to God. I promise you that. We don't always feel close to God. But feelings, eh, I've warned you about those. Stick to the truth, who you are in Christ. Are you born again? What's that mean? We throw that around a lot. But what does that mean? Well, you know, Jesus liked to use physical examples to teach spiritual truths. We call them parables. And he told a lot of them. And one of the things that he said in John 3.3, he was talking to a religious leader named Nicodemus. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you are born again, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You cannot go to heaven unless you're born again. Well, he was like, what are you talking about? I don't get it. So he explained further. He said, that which is born of flesh is flesh. But that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. In other words, to be a real Christian, a genuine Christian, you need the Holy Spirit. And you can't earn the Holy Spirit. You can't do a religious tradition or ritual to receive the Holy Spirit. It's a gift from God. And if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, that alone says you have the Holy Spirit. And that's what you come back to when you don't feel like you're saved or you don't feel very clean. You come back to that truth, who you are in Christ, who your identity is. Come to Jesus. Put your faith in Him. He cleanses your hearts by the blood, by His blood. Come to Jesus. Find rest in Him. I invite you to do that as our band comes up to play this final song. I invite you to come to Jesus. Maybe you've never done it before, really. You've been going to church a long time. Maybe you've come for a little while. But maybe this is it. This is the moment where right now you recognize Jesus is the only way. And I'm going to come to him. And if that's you, then I encourage you to bow your head and talk to God and let him know, I want to come to you, God. And if you want to come forward and kneel here, you can do that. If you want to put it on a connection card and say, I, I just need to talk about this a little bit more, Pastor, can you call me? I will do that. But don't let this moment go away. If this is, if this is heavy on your heart, Deal with God. Come to Jesus today.